That's a groovy button. What does it say? Button? Who is this that's saying? What is this button saying? We don't need no stinking buttons. Just tell them better what the next episode number is. Who's got the button? No, that's the book, man. The monkey's book. That's right. But who is this that's saying? What episode is this? What episode is this, man? It's episode six. That's six, man. You're right, man. That's right. Where's that parking lot attendant? If you can be a Mexican bandit, I can be a Mexican parking lot attendant. See? And with that twist on the intro, we welcome you to episode number six of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. And coming up later, I'm going to tease it now, part two of our episode with the amazing Coco Dolans. As always, I am... Al, let's see, let's see, which, which bandit should I use, man? Should I use El Torco, the bandit without a nickname? Yeah, that's good, man. I'm El Dolenzio, the bandit without the conscience. All right. We're, th- we're thrilled to have you back with us with episode six. Uh, episode six with part two of the interview with Coco Dolans. You said episode two with Coco. Who is this? Who is this saying what episode, what part number is this? Uh, I don't need no stinking parts. What you talking about, man? Eight, nine, doesn't matter, man. Peter Whitney somewhere is turning over in his grave right now. (laughs) Dance window. But, uh, yes, we are thrilled uh, to have you with us uh, for the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, episode six. And coming up, as my esteemed colleague did say. I'm very esteemed. Esteemed. You're esteemed at the moment. Is is that like steamed broccoli? Part two of our amazing interview with Coco Dolans. Uh, what uh, we have another topic tonight. This week we're going to discuss Pulit continuing off of last week when we or last time when we discussed that one then and now. Um, what kind of remix you got for us this time, oh pal, oh mine? We're going to include my fabulous remix of Tapioca Tundra, the famous 1968 Monkeys tune where Mike really goes all out with his Nez-isms. You mean tapioca tundra? Is it that, that like See, tapioca? Okay, so uh, uh, Nez rambles on for what, three and a half, four minutes? Well, and I'm through it about five minutes, but yeah. Right. <laughs> so what Let's did you do to this one, my friend? Oh, what didn't I do? Let's see. By this time, Rhino has given us five or six different versions of this song. We even got acoustic versions, which are here at the end of this, this remix. So what I did was I tried to combine a few different takes where Mike is singing in a different way, some of these takes have Mike with a highly filtered voice. You mean like when I do this? Who knows what evil works in the hearts of men? The shadows. <laughs> Sorry, I've been wanting to do that since we started. That's one of my favorite impressions. He's been waiting for an opening. I think it's more like this. Love to me is blue-eyed and blonde. You gotta plug your nose in there. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you do the, gotta do the nasal thing, you know. That and the styrofoam cup. Mm, that's true. So, what you end up with is uh, one vocal take in the middle, another vocal take of Mike's on the left channel, and another one in the right channel, which towards the end gets a little creepy if you're listening with headphones. And I recommend you listen to these with headphones. Uh, extra percussion, extra bass, the usual stuff. There's a time in there where I filter in a mono version of the song, just because I like a little, uh, I like that little section of uh, just the mono version. It sounds a little different, and just had fun with it. And just made it a one longer, wackier, more surreal experience. More tapioca-ish. I got it. I did, man. 
Yeah, see. No, see, you're, you're not listening to me. This is the Fargo. It's the way they say it up north in the Midwest. Tapioca. Oh, yes, yes. Tapioca tundra. Ooh. Or fro- the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. That's my. Ooh, tapioca tundra. That's what we call uh, February here. That's right. He wrote a song about us here in Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin. Minnesota <laughs> cold is rotten. Minnesota, North Dakota, Fargo, eh? All right. And Minnesota cold is rotten. That's a 1976 Alka-Seltzer commercial. It still haunts me to this day. So anyway, are we going to play it now? Uh, no. We're, no. We, we, uh, no All this build-up. That's a teaser. That's what they call a teaser uh, in the business. Always Remember tease. these things. I, I keep buying the books, send you to school, you trade it for a monkey's lunchbox. What am I going to do with you? That's pretty much what I did. <laughs> so anyway, you'll hear that wonderful remix later. And That's right. You will live to love it. That's right. And you will learn to, to love it. That's right. If, whether you like it or not. I can't do Ric Flair. That's right. So. Um, but uh, Woo! Woo! but picking up where we left off last week, we last time we talked about last week, last time, whenever it was we did this previous episode. It could have been as little as just hours ago. That's true. Know, the magic of podcasting. That's right. The magic of editing. Thank goodness. Um, continuing on the topic, we talked about then and now last time. So we're going to move up a little bit and discuss. Depending on your, your uh, idea of moving up or down. That's right. Uh, we're going to discuss the infamous or famous Pulit. So there are this one I like it but I don't like it. I mean there are as we talked about last time um I feel like my relationship with Big Turk. That's right. Big Turk? Yes, it's kind of a uh, no. Okay. This is this is the, <laughs> not the place this, to go into this, it. This is this is a G or a PG rated podcast, okay? Well, you see the bruises I've covered with the makeup. That's okay, right. I, I'll leave it at that. But um we talked about last time how if Davy had not balked at the problems with Arista, that they might have been signed to a, a bigger label, uh, which would have predicated this album never being created. Now, don't get me wrong, it has some high points, and it's got some meh points. But I'm just not sure if this was the album that the guys really needed to capitalize on 2.0 from 86. Uh, despite the, 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 the age-old uh, how the album was named story <laughs> goes, so for those of you, of course, who don't, I'm telling you something you probably already know. But as the story goes, they were swimming in the they they were all having together and they were swimming and messing around and everything. And Mickey you know, pull it instead of cool it. So that's the way that the album came to be. Now my first inkling of this album was calling the Monkey Business Fanzine Hotline for you kids. There wasn't constant updates about this stuff that you like. No Facebook, no Twitter. This was this was before smartphones, so you actually had to have a phone that had a cord that was connected. Right. <sighs> and you have to try six or seven times because other fans are trying to get in. And this was a recorded message from Maggie herself, the publisher of said fans. And this this was back in the day when it actually like cost to money to dial long distance. Yes. Uh, but I remember her Maggie. announcing the album and, and saying the name. She said that there would be a new album called Pull It, and I... Through the problems of a bad connection, possibly, and of course, what, listening to basically a, a cassette recording, like, mm-hmm. almost like listening and to And like a, an answering machine recording, right. yeah. Through the deficiencies of such audio happenstance, I thought she said toilet. <laughs> and then flash forward to when the album comes out and I've done my first listen Oy through, and I thought and... it should have been called toilet. Because <laughs> I'd let you know where I stand, ladies and gentlemen. Mm, tell me how you really feel about this, partner. But, um... No, the album has Roger uh, Bacherian. Bless you. I mean, he did, with with what they were working towards, he did a decent job. Um, 
there are people are people are um, very galvanized on some of the songs on this, and, and I'm going to start with what's generally regarded as the worst one of them all, and that's she's moving in with Rico. Okay, you do now, that. <clears throat> now, Rico man, she's moving in with Rico. That's it, but the song is not that bad to me. I mean, it's a breakup song, that kind of thing. And it's Davy trying to be something a little bit different than Davy the Monkey. I don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, to me... Jamaican Jones, man. Jamaican Jones, man. That's right. But if you look at the... Uh, and thanks to the uh, ability to edit, we had to, I put... I, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll level with you. I had him stop the recording for a second so I could pull up the track listing because it's been so long since I've looked at the whole thing. But there are good songs on this album. Taking away you know, not, not, you know, Heart and Soul Every Step of the Way. Uh, Don't bring me down, which they featured on the Heart and Soul Nickelodeon video that they did with this shot with the restaurant with the little girl who met the monkeys. The contest winner. That's right. Adrian um, Bomber. That's right. Midnight, which is I think is underrated. Um, I taking taking the long way home. Eh. To me, counting on you is actually worse than she's moving in with Rico. That is, it's like the aftermath. Of uh, I'll love you forever. It's like he's, he's I've written I've written this one. It's a good song. Let's move on. See, can I write something similar? I'll use Ellie more. No, and that's when he he must he must have had a little too much to drink when he was doing counting on you because it came out like Dudley Moore. Ask the nurse; she'll tell you. That's right, but um, uh, Secret Heart is not also not a bad one. But to me, the one that steals the show is Since You Went Away. You know, it, it, it's anti Griselda for the '80s. I love Peter singing it. I think it's I think it's perfect for him. But to me, the album is at best a C album. And there are things that they had they had more time to do it. I, I think what they should have done was they should have brought the '86 tour to an end, spent six to eight weeks recording a new album, then go back onto the road to support it. Rather than just continuing the tour, because at that point, I, I think it would have, I think it would have done better. But you know, we'll never know. Or they could have done, taken a page from Pisces Aquarius, where a lot of that was recorded on the road. True. And of course, it's not as easy now with digital. We Absolutely. Can do that. And but I mean, they could, they could have made arrangements to stop in different studios and, and have sure. have who uh, have have Bacherian meet him there. So, but. Um, Tell me your tell me your favorite song and your worst song of the album. Well, again, you know, we all looked forward to it. I guess I bought the album and where I bought it to at a Camelot or a record bar. That's uh, a record store for you, yes. you youngins out there. These records with these round, never mind. Even well, they know about vinyl today because yes. everybody it's coming back. It's a whole different scene, man. Mm-hmm. Even the clerk there mentioned a song on it, and I remember too about the same time. Well, a few years later, actually. Uh, Missing Links 2 would come out and I remember the clerk there raving about you know we finally got a mm-hmm. stereo version of the live Circle Sky and yeah. I'm like no no you, regular people shouldn't know about this stuff it's just mm-hmm. as hardcore fans mm-hmm. but she said you gotta hear Getting In Getting In is the greatest thing and of course yes and then I got it home and uh, I guess I was foolishly expecting this is this is the next step this is the album that comes after Instant Replay mm-hmm. or whatever if we're not gonna count changes or whatever and of course that's foolish because it's not 1969 anymore no so I listen to it, and I'm just like thinking, why, you know, why didn't I just get a Mike and the Mechanics album, or you know, Huey Lewis or something? It's a, mm-hmm. it's an, it's a good album. It's solid. And see, they should have done an album more like Huey Lewis and the New Sports. They should have done, they should have done a, rock, a more rock and roll. But they were trying to, 
they were trying to capitalize because Bachirian's English. Uh, if, he's British, if I remember correct. So they were trying to go a little bit more with the Euro pop kind of thing because that was what was big at the time. And that leads me, that song right there leads me to Pulit's biggest gaffe, Rhino's biggest mistake. They should have released Getting In as a dance single. Yep. Because and I've, you and I have always talked about this. The one thing I'm not a, a big fan of Peter is that he's, he's like, he, has, he suffers from what I call Michael Stipeism. He writes a lot of songs in minor keys. But Getting In was the perfect synth pop dance track. And he sang it really well. I mean, you know, yeah, to me, Rhino really dropped the ball on that. And there, again, I'm as much as I love Rhino and I will preach and thank Rhino for everything that they've done to us. I'd like to get Harold Bronson alone in a room for about five minutes and introduce him to my... Say hello to my little friends here. Yeah, because I think he did the guys a, a very big disservice and the A&R people by not realizing this. Yes. Anyway, I listened to the album. I know there was also then a feeling of the novelty aspect. Here's this group from a million years ago, updated. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. are they going, how are they going to sound? How is Davy Jones going to sound over synth bass and, and, mm-hmm. and electronic drums? And, and I guess there's something to be said for that. I did like the singles. I thought those were strong singles, especially every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it showcased David very well. Very well. Now, Heart and Soul was a great song, mm-hmm. but here's another Rhino screwed up. They screwed up the timing of the release. Oh, yes. Because, uh, for those of you who know anything about 80s music, there was a ton of one-hit wonders in the in, during the 80s. You Star Trek fans also are in for a treat. Yeah. That's true. I didn't think about it. I didn't hit me even until you just said that. At the same time, or very... Uh, that summer. Very, that summer, there was a second song released by a group called Tapau. Star Trek reference? Go ahead. That is Spock's mother, I think. No, mm-hmm. that is Spock's beloved that he was That's with right. to marry. Where's my wife? She's, I gotta, she's the, the Trekkie. The Trekker. I'm sorry, no letters, please. The Trekker. Yeah, uh, no, Tapau was Spock's betrothed in that episode. See, I knew that. But. My dentist gave me a betrothed. It went across like the upper teeth. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I lost it like last year somewhere. <laughs> I don't even want to know where you lost it. But um, but Heart and Soul by Tapau, because of the falling out with MTV. That was another big negative. Tapau's version got the play. Tapau's version showed up on uh, on, uh, on radio and uh, in heavy rotation in MTV, despite the fact that our version of Heart and Soul was a much better song. And again, we can speak of the unfortunate occurrences of 87. One of the books I was reading about, again, said what if they had signed with, with Arista, what if mm-hmm. Davey had agreed to go along with that. Would, would they have gotten more visible albums with a bigger label? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, too. By the time Rhino comes in, they're hampered by the fact that it's a few months past the New Year's uh, Super Bowl. Yeah debacle and if you don't know about that that's a situation that caused MTV that was, to drop that, that was that was the straw that broke the camel's back with MTV but I still don't know who to blame for that one I don't know whether to blame Fishoff or Davey saying we MTV needs us more than we need MTV which is which hindsight in 2020 uh, David it no. was a synergistic relationship yeah that's what my therapist tells me about me and Big Roscoe I, I think it was I think Fishoff did them a disservice by just accepting them without asking them because that was at the end of the 87 tour. They'd been touring for two years nonstop, and they were worn out and physically. So, or at least, I don't need, 
the the impl- the imp- implications that I'm seeing or the the implying thing is that Fischoff didn't tell him about it until the last minute. And they had all made plans and said, no, we can't do this. And, Davey, and then Davey utters that line, and one thing leads to another. Everything lines up, and boom, that's the end of the monkeys on MTV. And speaking of monkey business fanzine, they were running. Someone from inside the MTV organization actually snuck out um, uh, the print-offs of what people were calling in and demanding. The and top, yeah, the top. The monkey you, stuff was at the time. They would not play that stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, and it, it was just, like I say, I don't, know if, I don't know if the Manchester Cowboy was getting a little bit too big again um, ego wise or if I, I just think I think a lot of this has to fall on the, uh, on the shoulders of David Fischoff I think so and I think it was a lot of just miscommunication absolutely especially back in that era so that so what let's say that didn't happen would the album have been and the singles have been bigger I think so because we had that plus like you mentioned the other similarly named single yeah. that was another club across the kneecaps that's right if 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 the New Year's Eve performance had gone on, there's no telling where it could have gone to, yeah. because they would have they would have they probably would have pushed Heart and Soul to number one because of the of everything. But again, you know, it's just the way that Destiny was. It's just the 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 route the path that it was expected to take. But I really truly wish that Harold had pulled his head out of his rear end. And or the people who understood that and realized that getting in was the perfect dance song for that time. Um, also, another thing that happened: Nickelodeon kind of stepped in at that time when MTV dropped the ball for the reasons we just mentioned. And so you could say, for good or ill, suddenly an even younger set—it's back to the eight-year-old, right—was being wooed again. Uh, and some of these singles, we only know them not from MTV playing them, but from Nickelodeon and all their kids shows. You know, they had Nick Rocks, and I've still got these on tape somewhere. Yeah, that's where that's where "Don't Bring Me Down" got a right. lot of a, a lot of its push. That contest winner, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. So the album I thought was very good. It's, it's a serviceable album. I really love those singles. I guess I loved every step of the way a little more because it seemed edgier, mm-hmm. a little more rock rockier. I guess, yeah. more rock and roll. Okay, of course, I love Justice for that reason. I, I'm not really interested. Uh, in uh, uh, that's next week. Uh, okay. That's that, that's ne- that's that's episode seven. Very good. All right. But um, you know. The stuff that's thin and bubblegum-like, I know... See, again, the problem is if you mention the monkeys at 10 different people, what they see in the monkeys are going to be 10 different things. Absolutely, and a lot of it, I, the one common denominator will probably be bubblegum. Right. But they did country. Yeah. They did hard rock. They did soft rock. They did mm-hmm. ballads. They did acid rock. They did Broadway. They did. But I give Roger Bacherian credit for trying to make a period piece for that time. Well, he did. It quickly dated. They were trying to, to because Euro pop, the Brit pop, was was still very popular. Lots of heavy synth, and that's why Mickey played the, those that type of drum set. From what I read too, the producer was caught between two worlds. Of course, the monkeys are hot. The label's like, come on, get us product right away to capitalize on this. The monkeys themselves wanted this super produced sound. Yeah. Again, we have to compete. I'm sure in their minds we're competing with today's market. We can't put out another last train to Clarkson. Well, it's not 20 years ago. Yeah. The producer himself wanted more of a garage band rock thing. So he's caught between the monkeys, what he wants, what the label wants, pressure to get product out there. And Chip Douglas would have done more Chuck Berry tunes. Probably. In fact, we have an episode of Headquarters where somebody asked him about the album. He's like, well, it's, like we're saying, it's good, but where are the, the big guitar riffs? And where are those guitar bridges? And... I want to hear jangly guitars. See? Great minds think alike yes. because that's exactly where I took that from. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, 
So plug, it was very plug good. To the, and, plug uh, to the Monkey's Hour. You can find that on the Monkey's Live All Night website. It's interesting to think, like, ten years later, we're going to get justice, and there I am trying to get my local radio stations to play that. And then, recently, we had Good Times, which is a little different. That got, you know, a lot more interest and attention. Well, that was, yeah, that was because of the, the, the people behind it. I mean, True, too. So. Plus, it's a, it's a really good album, and... And it's eclectic. And, and, you know, when those first singles started coming out, I started to worry because they were very thin and bubblegummy. And it's like, it's pull it all over again. But you got those, ni- those nice Nesmith songs and you got the Peter stuff. And there is some weight in that album. Well, this, we'll, Alan, Alan, will goes, Alan will goes nose to nose with Harold next time, uh, next podcast about justice. Just us. So I guess we're in agreement. Um, now, of course, you and I, when that album came out, I was not you and I. There's another Monkeys reference. I was 21. Mm-hmm. Which I felt so much older. I was. I'm younger than that now. Uh, that's a different group, isn't it? Uh, I want to ask you your age, but obviously we weren't teens. We weren't kids. I was 27 when it came out. Yeah, see. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at it again. Like we spent all this time, in my case, having this great interest in a group that was long gone. They're back, so this better be good. But at the time when it came out, it's new monkeys product right that's why we that's why we went and got it for people that never thought we'd see anything new that's right i remember it was a novelty back then just to hear the monkeys referred to in the present and future tense Mm -hmm. as opposed to x monkey and the monkeys did and the monkeys had as opposed to Mm -hmm. the monkeys will be Mm -hmm. which is still kind of weird getting used to that even today it's kind of weird to yeah and i have to hear x monkey and former monkey mickey dolan's and Ex monkey Mike Nesmith, you know. As we as we know, the music business is completely cyclical. I mean, everything old, it, like everything old, is new again eventually. Mm-hmm. I would expect Aha to make a comeback in the next ten years. <laughs> you know, I was on my cyclical the other day, getting some exercise in, and one of the pedals broke. Ah. So, so you had to you had the cyclical one one foot. I had to sit out the cyclical system situation. Cricket. My cyclical Crickets. situation. So. It's, I had to mention that because I see people online and you can tell they're younger. Mm-hmm. And again, like then and now, that may have been an early introduction to the Monkees. And sure. they're very fond of it because they were 12 mm-hmm. and that was one of their first albums. And, and yeah. it's not bad for that. No. It's just as solid as anything else from the time period. But I guess I was expecting more because the guys can do more. And we knew they could do more. Well, I, I also think, it, again, because the, the age-old label, we need product, we need it now, get it done. I'm sure that there's, you know, I, I'm sure that if Andrew could ever find the tapes of those sessions, I'm sure it's basically just, you know, one take Dolan's, you know, Davey, you know, Davey, yeah, they, they had no choice. I mean, it was a situation where Rhino demanded the, Rhino needed the product right. to push and, you know, well, forget about the push, but we'll, t- we'll talk about that another time. But I thought it was a cute poster with the uh, poster and, and uh, cover mm-hmm. and gatefold with the, yeah. the pool motif and the blues mm-hmm. and the, the water. Absolutely. And, yeah. The monkeys Where, make a big splash. Yeah, Where, and, the, and the guys wearing those, those long, yeah. We used to call them jams. Back non-speedos, the the non-speedos. Put it Thank in. heavens for that. Yeah, really. They were called jams back then. We used to rock them with our, our Lester Crab, uh, Lester Cram glasses. That's right. Now, uh, so all in all, Pulit's not the worst album. Pulit's not the best album. It's right in the middle. It's right in the middle of the pack. You say it's not the worst, but I'm kind of hard pressed. I guess that's a discussion for another time. Well, no, all right. Um, it's not worse than more of the monkeys' greatest hits. Um, I'd say, all right, I'll, 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 I'll say it's on a level with changes. 
Okay. See, the problem with all these albums is they they have some horrible material, but they have some great material. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to something like Pisces Aquarius, where almost every cut is great, so yeah. it's hard to compare. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'll. I'll it, it's not the worst album, but it, it's it's on a par with Changes. I'll, I'll go because because of most of the bubble gum that's on Changes that is the Andy Kim rejects. See, I guess I'm looking for like for me, I think my worst would be Monkeys Present. Only because, okay, we have Nez Country, but it's not very good Nez Country. I'll never tell a woman yes. We've got rock, but it's, you know, looking for the good times, which doesn't doesn't really make it. We've got... I never never thought it peculiar. You know. No, I see what you're saying, but, yeah, at the time, at the time present was just... Just lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we got this in the vault. Let's put it out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it suffers, I think, from... It's it's one of the first albums to really suffer from the lack of Peter Torque. And it suffers from complete uh, a complete blase attitude. Yes. Uh, or as as was it was in Lefkowitz's book said writing the inertia down as it were. <laughs> and Nez's line. That's interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so it's not something I don't have any pullet songs on my iPod on my in my my car mixes. I still mix things on CD for my car. Wait a minute. I do like getting in. I may I should bring that back out. Yeah, wait a minute. And Peter has included that song in subsequent years in his uh, solo dates and with Shoe Suede Blues. That's right. Um, very durable song. Now, it didn't is. he remake it for Stranger Things? I may be mistaken. Um, and, and yes, as a matter of fact, he did do getting in on Stranger Things. Very good song. Thank you for that pause for the cause. Although I pulled up my phone playlist here. All right. I'm going to share that this is this is what I have on my phone playlist. Drum roll, please. Yeah. Uh, Man Without a Dream, All Alone in the Dark, Anytime, Anyplace. No, I like, I mean, you know. I do. It's fun. It's, fun. I, it's, it's like um, um, uh, Shake Em Up. You know, it's one of those fun times. Mr. Henry Diltz on clarinet. Uh, anytime, Anyplace, Anywhere. Uh, the Carlisle Wheeling version that I love off of Missing Links 1. I don't have that because it makes me cry. <laughs> Getting in. Good Clean Fun, Heart and Soul. Good Clean Fun, where have I heard that song before? You know, I, it, it's striking a chord with me, something to do with, hey, that's a groovy button. What does that say? <laughs> Maybe that's one of those things where Mike, you know, it doesn't include the title in the actual song. Yep. So. Uh, Heart and Soul, uh, I Don't Think You Know Me, which is also Missing Links. I Love You Better, which is the lousier of the two singles. Uh, the B-side. I'm a bully, I'm a retriever. Um, if I Ever Get Saginaw, which is uh, uh, also It's Got to Be Love. It's nice to be with you, but I like the live version better. I'm, I have to find the right live version. Uh, kicks, um, the the little girl with uh, no, that's that's the Peter version from Good Times. I've got Long Way Home, MGBGT Live, Midnight, Midnight Train, Mommy and Daddy, the clean version. See now, I do have that on my iPod, but it's the. It's the would you rather that the bully went through my head? Right. Um, oh my my, oh what a night. Pillow Time, which I love. I love the yeah. I love the guitar work on Pillow Time. That's just that. You know, it, I mean, it just it speaks of Louis Shelton. I don't think it's Louis, but it speaks of Louis. Shelton. Same with Midnight Train. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the reason. I, yeah, that rather than the Headquarters version, because yeah, I kick your head from here to hell. Better know I can do it well. Um, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Regional Girl, which I will have a complete rant on next time. Uh, Since you went away, Stepping Stone, uh, the original slow version of Teardrop City. That was then. I actually have a whole wide world. Uh, Papa Jean's Blues and What Am I Doing Hanging Around. 
My word. It would take me a whole podcast to go through the monkey's material on my iPod. Well, I still have to add stuff to it, but you know, when when you go about the way I do it, it takes a little while. A little time consuming. I've seen you with like a screwdriver trying to get the songs off a CD. <laughs> Like scrape, scrape them, them off and <laughs> put them on to, your phone. I'm like, no, Alan, that's not no, how it works. No, you, you, or try to try to put the try to scratch the grooves into the CD <laughs> like an LP. I've seen you play them on the record player. That's right. Don't work that way. <laughs> so, they don't work that way. So, uh, I, have we said all we need to say about? I think we I think we have pooled it. Compl- I think we've pooled it enough on this. So, uh, again next, turn it again next time when we tackle just us. Hi again, everybody. It's the Real Don Steel, 96KHJ, leading into another one of Al Bigley's great remixes. Al, what have you got for us this time? Thank you, Don. This is my remix of Tapioca Tundra. As mentioned earlier, stronger, better, faster. No, actually, it's been lengthened, more bass. There are periods where it goes into a mono mix. You'll hear more mic than you ever wanted to hear before. Put on your headphones and hear them in uh, in each one of your, your stereo channels. I just have one question. Yes, is there more cowbell? I think there is more cowbell. More percussion, more drum rolls, more of a calypso feel to the song overall. You even hear a little bit of Mike's acoustic run-through at the end in an eerie, eerie fade in the song to bring us all back down to earth. And it's funny that you should mention Mike acoustically in Tapioca Tundra, you know, because one of the pieces I have when we get back, once we get done with the interviews with Coco, we go back to putting our in our little, and uh, I'm sorry, I will openly apologize for the Daydream Believer 2000 remix. I'm sorry, I just thought I, I, I had to share it. It's one of those, like like a car wreck. You can't, you can't look at it, but you can't turn away from it. So, But coming up, we have a very special acoustic version of Tapioca Tundra by Nez that was done last year. Can you give us any more information or hints or clues? Sure. Um... For those of you who know, uh, last year, or Nez's uh, house was threatened in the Carmel area by wildfires. And the firefighters in California did a great job of finally getting it under control, minimizing the damage, especially to Nez's home. So in Carmel, they had a fundraising concert uh, for um, the firefighters union. And Nez was there. He performed Ray's, uh, did um, Maria's theme, and the original acoustic version tapioca tundra that's what you have to look forward to kitties very cool very cool anyway here's my remix for everyone to enjoy it's from a few years ago it melds many different versions thanks to rhino once again of the song into one big enjoyable bowlful pill-sized serving of nez side. 
this, ladies and gentlemen, Al Bigley's Tapioca Kachuddy remix of the Real Don Steel 96KHJ. Join us again next time for another great remix on 96KHJ with the fabulous monkeys. Catch my breath? Uh-uh. Yes, I should vamp now and do a little soft shoes, Alan. <laughs> Catches his breath from that one big blast of nostalgic radio remembrance. And since I introed the first part, I'll let you intro the second part. Talk about what's coming up. And since I blazed on about part one of the great interview we have coming up, I'll let you handle part two. Thank you, my podcasting partner. As you know, we were gifted. We were blessed with the, uh, the, the phone presence of Coco Dolans for a recent podcast interview when we played part one in episode number five mm-hmm. of this very podcast. There's still time to download it and hear it at your own convenience. So now we're going to go into part two. Where we continue our discussion about growing up with Mickey, the things that happened, and it, we also talk about her solo recording because Coco has a, a, a CD of uplifting tunes. It's called One World, and if you're good, boys and and if you're good, boys and girls, sure, we just might even play one of the songs off that CD just for you, so you can hear what Coco sounds like on her own. Sure. When you do that, you're like a weird mix of Robin Williams and uh, uh, Jim Neighbors. Golly. No, that's my Robin Williams does Fred Rogers. Oh, okay. Okay, I see now. Shazam! Say it again. Shazam! So let's go into part two of our interview with Coco Dolans. Of course, my dad, like I said, was a major gourmet, basically. And he had started in screen, uh, um, the Screen Actors Guild, he had started a gourmet cooking group kind of thing back in the 40s or something. And uh, he had a lot of, anyway, anyway, we had a lot of recipes that were just really fabulous. And I'm, I'm, I continue to work on it, and it'll come out at some point. But what's interesting is I have his, um, his book that was his, um, uh, all of his clips, all of his, uh, what do you call it, a scrapbook of all of his, you know, um, newspaper clippings and things and stuff. And there's a picture in there of him, um, you know, serving everybody and all the people that were in the club and they're making their food and they're serving everybody. And Noah Barry Jr., who ended up being Uncle Joey on Circus Boy, right? Mm-hmm. Noah Barry Jr., was one of the guests at this dinner that my dad and his other cohorts were preparing and, you know, it was a big, you know, like a, you know, news um, magazine splash thing. And there's no Barry Jr. And so he's feeding him and it's part of this clip thing. And then of course, um, years later, of course, however many years it was, 10 years later, um, Noah Barry is of course, uncle Joey with Mickey's circus boy. Mm-hmm. So kind of a, you know, a connection there was kind of, kind of cool. Six Degrees of George Dolan's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Talking about your family, um, yeah. there are two other Dolan sisters that we don't really know that much about. And I, I don't want you to get in too deep about it, but 
introduce us a little bit and tell us about Deborah and Kathleen and and the relationship well, you have not, with them. They're not in show business. They just lead their own private lives, and there's you know not enough. They don't like to be in the limelight, and there's not a lot to be said about them. My sister Deborah was in the corporate world for many years, uh, managing in a AR and um, stuff, and now lives in Scotland. I'm very happy. And my other sister Kathleen lives in Northern California, is married, and also lives a very private life. And uh, they're very happy doing so. That's cool. I'm. I, that, like I say, yeah. I. You know, I'm. I'm. You are. The, you are the most famous Dolan sister, as we all know. But <laughs> you know, I, that was. I, I appreciate you at least just giving us that little bit because it's. It's nice to know the whole family. So. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but they've, they've just never, you know, my sister Deborah actually uh, used to play the flute, and she actually sings, and she can sing, but it was, just wasn't her um, path, you know. She was she was, <laughs> she was, was more involved in busting people that were um, um, uh, stealing money from big corporations and mm-hmm. things. Very important. <laughs> she was involved in that whole kind of world, and, uh, um, you know, it's just a different world. Gotcha. You never told me that Coco had siblings. Little joke. I have he, two sisters. <laughs> Little joke. Yeah, you have you have to forgive my partner. He he comes up with these at the at the crazy. That's part of the allure of the podcast. <laughs> he uses the term allure very loosely too. <laughs> very loosely. So okay. Now you've had to go through this twice with Mickey. Um. I want to go back to the to the circus boy, if I can uh, get you to remember. Was it harder for you then, with Mickey being circus boy, being the little kid sister, or uh, when the mania hit in '66? Harder in what respect? Well, I mean, did did you get a lot more? I know you got a lot more attention uh, when the monkeys hit, but. Did you get? Mm-hmm. Were kids always coming up to you when they said, "Oh, hey, you're Circus Boy's sister"? Wow, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, not as much because it was, you know, it, the the media and everything wasn't as strong then. You know, the most you got then was, you know, um, where's Bimbo? You know, <laughs> oh, he's been asking about you too. You know, um, and plus, I went to a. Uh, elementary school um, that uh, it was a private school at the time that had many other uh, uh, kids that were also uh, their family was in the business because mm-hmm. you remember you know it's it's the you know the Los Angeles area so I had other kids that were their family was in the business so it wasn't a big deal it's like so what's the big deal you know, yeah, yeah, you got a show. You got a show next year? No, well, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so it, was, it wasn't It was quite as big a deal as, as the monkeys because then I was like a teenager and it was um, far more impacting, you know. Now, you said earlier, of course, your entire family sang, so you talked about the trips mm-hmm. and you're driving in the car. Um, mm. Did you do a lot of theater and that kind of thing, or did you sing in groups in high school? Uh, I did choir and I did theater in high school, but um, I did more uh, as I got older. There was a big stretch where you know, I did some clubs and this and that, but um, actually it's kind of funny. 
um, not until about the end of the 70s. I went out with Mickey. I did clubs during the 70s. And then at the end of the 70s, I went out with Mickey and Davey when they asked me, would you like to go out on tour with us? I went, yeah. <laughs> she, you think? So we went out on tour and and did some stuff. And then, uh, then I moved back up north at the time. This is like 79, 80. And I did some uh, theater up there. And that was where I did most of my theater work. And loved it. It was it was really wonderful. And um, then I didn't do it for a whole long time, and then I did some more. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of the extent of my theater work. And when when you, you I know when you went out on the road with Mickey and Davey in the late seventies, mm -hmm. that was with the mm -hmm. punk band backing you guys up, wasn't it? They were called the um, uh, Laughing Dogs. I don't what? know that they were a punk band, but they were a, a, a band from New York that they had found, mm -hmm. and they were called the Laughing Dogs. I I had I, I must I guess I have to bring blame Eric Lefkowitz for this because he was the one, if I remember right, in the Monkey's Tale that said they were a punk band. So I I I don't know that to be true because I don't know what punk band meant then. You know, I I don't remember them having. Um, safety pins in their ears or <laughs> any of that. They were just musicians as far as I remembered. Okay. Well, maybe they were. I don't know. You'd have to ask Jimmy Carthright. I've actually uh, communicated with a couple of them since then, and nice. they're still musicians. So they were good. They were great guys. Yeah. They were Go very New York. I remember us being in – in Florida, and they would stay in their room with the with the blinds shut, and they're like we're out running around in the beach in the sun, and they're like inside, and it's like, oh okay. <laughs> oh, no, so in other words, they were vampires. I got you. Kinda, yeah. It was like I guess it was New York or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Very nice guys, so very talented. Now, going into late '65, early '66, before the mania hit, you know when they're yeah. Do you did you and Mickey talk about the show the what he really thought his expectations were or and what did you what were your initial thoughts about this before uh, before everything exploded? <clears throat> I think our basic thought was oh you got another show cool <laughs> you know because mm -hmm. like I said it w it was the family business my father had had a TV show he had done movies. Uh, Mickey had had Circus Boy. He had done other TV shows. He had auditioned for this, and it was like, oh, you got a show. Cool. Mm -hmm. But in Hollywood, it's like, you know, you're only as good as your last show. So as far as we knew, it was just another show. Okay. And he has work. <laughs> you know, in Hollywood, it, it, it really is that. It's like, oh, you've got work. Cool. You know, it's a show. You never know if it's going to go. You never know if it's going to go past pilot. You have no idea, mm -hmm. you know. So we had already moved up north, I believe. Our family had moved up north. And we were excited that he had work, you know, and that he had got, you know, um, hired for it. But nobody knew or could know what what it would have entailed, you know. Do you remember when you when it first hit you to say, hey, wait a minute, this is something this is something unique? When it first hit, you mean when the show first yeah, came out? Yeah, when when thing when did it 
did you have a moment to say, hey, wait a minute, Mickey, this is this is really big, or or it yeah. surprised you that it was taking I, off? I think I think the 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 memory I have, which is like really a long time ago, oh come on, um, was when we went to the concert in San Francisco. So they started to tour, mm-hmm. and we went to the concert and said, I think it was at the Cow Palace, mm-hmm. and it was mania. It was like Beatles mania because we, I had been at the the uh, Beatles concert. I don't know what a couple of years before, wherever it was down here, and it was crazy. And we had gone to the B. Our family had gone to the, the their concert in San Francisco, and we were. Um, like, you know, down by the stage on the side or something. And they came bounding out on stage and the place went freaking, you know, psychotic. And I think that's the, that's the memory that I have in my mind of like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is, this is different. You know, this is, this is huge. And the rest is, is hysterical as they say. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is history, you know, and we were, Quickly, I think, uh, cordoned backstage somewhere, you know, and it was like, but that's that's the first memory because of the TV show, you know, you're sitting in your room watching the show going, woohoo, yay, look at they're on TV, you know, or listening to the songs on the radio. But seeing that response at Cal Palace, I think that was the first time that I think I really um, realized it was a phenomenon. And we've heard that from others, too, like uh, Voice and yeah. Heart said the mm. first time they saw them live was when they mm. knew things were yeah. really just crazy for the group. Oh, yeah. It's those yeah. live concerts. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and the fact that after the live concerts, the mythology continued about, oh, I don't play their own instruments and all that. That is mind-boggling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> have my own conspiracy and- theories about this, and Mickey's touched about it because of the fact that you they, they didn't have to quote unquote pay their dues you mm. know, yeah and mickey's yeah, brought true. up the fact that you had to pay the right people to get your music played and here is a half hour basically yeah. the first half hour infomercial for yeah, inf- yeah for records and, uh, for records yeah. and concerts so yeah it's true it's it was true. truly unique now it was absolutely and it was the first time it was done Mm-hmm. So they had to take the brunt of the oh my god this is brand- what, what, what are they doing have you have you seen the show Hamilton or heard about the show yes. Hamilton mm-hmm. okay I'm addicted to the soundtrack uh, same thing you know somebody new comes along and everybody goes whoa whoa wait a minute what is this you know so. but I think that was the first time that I really uh, realized you know and then after that I was still in high school so you know people coming to our house and swarming our house we didn't have fences around it you know and looking in the windows and all that when he'd come up to visit <laughs> yeah he was like oh okay well They'd that brings that me to school. the the next question because <laughs> okay based on the history that we know about with with nez and with peter and with davy mickey seen mickey was always the the most grounded to me because of the fact i and get your take on this. I think because of the fact that you guys were all there, Nez didn't have family there, Peter didn't have family there, Davy didn't have family there. I do you think that the family unit being so close and being accessible to him, uh, because it was always it was always 
uh, written or, or spoken about that your mom had a really big hand in keeping him grounded during this time and not letting him get to the point, especially what people would take Davy for money right and left, Peter giving everything away, and Nez doing it. Do you, do you think that had a lot to do with Mickey keeping, you know, for lack of a better term, grounded and not getting completely caught up in everybody and, and allowing people to take advantage of him like the others did? Um, yes. And I also think it has to do with the fact that it was our family business. He Remember, he had already been through Circus Boy. He had already mm-hmm. been a child star, you know. So to him, it was another business. It was like, oh, now I'm cast as Mickey Dolan's, you know, I'm, I'm cast as this. So, yes, I, I, but I definitely do think that that had to do with it. And I think that our family ethics and our family philosophy, um, especially after Circus Boy, mm-hmm. had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, uh, realize that you are a commodity you know, uh, you're only as good as the, the flavor of the month and it's not who you are. Um, and let's, let's not get carried away with, with all the trappings. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it had a a great deal to do with it of keeping people grounded in, in realizing who we really are and not getting caught up in, um, falsities and, and, uh, thinking you're better than someone else because everybody knows you is bullshit. You know, it just happens that everybody knows you. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that. I get that a lot of uh, a lot with me as well. And it's like a lot of people know who I am, and so therefore I'm better than everyone. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's absurd. That's well, it's like absolutely. Davy at one point said, uh, "I guess when you become famous, you become more intelligent. You become more uh, articulate. You become." Uh, I guess more of a, a role model, which is, you know, whether you become more intelligent or articulate is uh, questionable. <laughs> you do. It's an illusion. Yeah. He model. says it's an illusion, yeah. but that, that, that's it's the illusion. illusion that people get because. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why I have always said that people in the limelight have a great responsibility because people do hold them as something other than right. Absolutely. And, you have the responsibility to, to um, wow. I mean, people are looking at you and going, "Ooh, what's important? What you know?" So, you know, and and, and uh, people that that are in the limelight, I think, have a great responsibility to, well, um, be the best they possibly can. And some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't believe in the same ethics I do. And or believe that's the same thing. That's honestly one thing I've noticed about you, mm-hmm. uh, with the way the way that you've carried yourself, the way that you are around people, the way that Mickey has, uh, with the girls. You know, uh, mm. he's he's raised four beautiful girls, um, mm. four gr- very good people, and mm. and that speaks to the family that you talked about, the family ethics and all that. So, mm. well, that's, ethics is that's, I think a lot of people would be would be smart to pay heed to the way that the, 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 the family dynamic plays into it. And if you want your kids to be better, you have to set the bar. Well, absolutely. You know, monkey see monkey do <laughs> not to be flippant, but, um, the truth is that we are, we are, um, examples for our kids and examples for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, 
pay attention to who we are and what we stand for, then, you know, people will do whatever. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> you know, I don't want yeah, that's like a whole other discussion, baby. <laughs> that's another story for another time. Yeah, another story, another story. But yeah, I do think my mom and my dad and my stepdad, especially, um, had a great deal to do with it of what's important. You know, I've told my kids, you know, as, as they were growing up, um, having compassion, having heart, having, you know, being honest, these are the things that matter in the long run. And being honest and truthful and caring and all this, this is what matters. I don't mm -hmm. care what else, but this is what matters. And if you can be successful and keep those things at the forefront, then yay. Good for you. Absolutely. You well know? spoken. Well and, spoken. And, and Mickey, um, people that have worked for him, um, he is generous to a fault. He is caring to a fault. Uh, musicians that have worked with him over the years, and there's been many of them, uh, they come and go because of the material and whatever. Uh, they all say, uh, we want to be in his court because he's a gentleman and it's fun. It's family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, now, along this thing, I want to get into this. A little, a little more serious uh, zeitgeist, as Mickey has said before they lapse into no time, that kind of thing. So you can be real serious. I want to talk about these articles that you used to write for the teen magazines. <laughs> and the photo features. And the photo features. Now, were the... It, were they? Did you actually do that, or was it one of those things, hey, we're going to write this, we're going to give you this certain amount of money for putting your name on it? No, I wrote them. Ah, did you have fun doing it? Yeah, it was fun. It you remember fun. the 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 most unusual article you ever wrote, or any the the most unusual thing you wrote about? No, I do not. Do you? We blotted that out of our memories. Okay, <laughs> understand. Well, I do was, not. Uh, there was one interesting feature that had you dressed up in a uh, in various fashions of the day, including a very Mickey like poncho. Which has mm -hmm. been resurrected in the recent poncho. concerts. No, that, that was my own poncho. Okay. I ended up giving it to a girlfriend. You remember it was the sixties guys, you know, oh, sure. we were dressing like sure. that. <laughs> oh, sure. It was a it was a woven could... wool kind of poncho. I loved that poncho. Yeah. And I think I ended up giving it to a friend of mine, if I'm not mistaken. But um yeah, those are the things that we wore. Some of us are too young to remember that. Yes, hey. you are. <laughs> Little joke. Little joke. Bite me, pal. <laughs> is a, is a, I, I guess I must not have been there because, as Davey says, if you remember the 60s, you weren't really there. But, yes, I was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, we went through the fashion stuff, and, and a lot of it, I wore a lot of very um, kind of indigenous, kind of comfortable. I still do. I don't, I'm not a great fashionista. There's nothing wrong with that. You look, you're you're a beautiful woman. You dress nicely. I'll I'll, I'll openly say that. Oh, thanks. Um, as the as things progressed, um, moving into the headquarters, it, I know that Mickey would take you out on the road, and you would you were a part of it. But headquarters was the first that I know of that you were involved uh, vocally. You know, we hear. Um, the great, you know, she'll be there, and the original Midnight Train, and some of the other things that you guys did. Um, talk about being in the studio with Mickey. As far as what, 
when you classify him as a songwriter, me personally, I see a lot of stream of consciousness stuff. What, mm. what, how, what's your opinion of your brother as a songwriter? Um, hmm. Yeah, he, he writes from his heart. He writes from um, personal experience. Um, I always sang harmonies just because he was always the person writing the song and wouldn't sing the melody. So I, so I always learned how to do harmonies, but, uh, his songwriting, I think was always, if you look at his, you know, body of work, always things that were near and dear to his heart. And, uh, he's never, I don't think written anything that was just frivolous, you know? Well, I and we had we had great fun uh, working on those things. Mm-hmm. Well, Midnight Train is one of my. Even though I prefer the the changes version, because I love the guitar work on that. Because I'm a good I'm mm-hmm. a guitar. I love. That's why I said when we talked about Louis Shelton uh, performing in Australia with you guys. Yeah. I love that kind of guitar work. Yeah. But uh, um, let's see. Sorry, had a had, had a fanboy moment for a second. <laughs> Oh yeah, I look at yeah. While I love mommy and daddy, I love Randy Skowskiet. I look at mm-hmm. Never Enough from Justice, and mm-hmm. um, the the songs that he wrote for that CD. I look as those as some of his best songs, because knowing what he was going through at the time that those songs were written, that that just you you can hear the emotion in the lyrics and the way he sang them. Right. Well, like I said, he sings from his heart, and, and uh, um, <laughs> hard to believe he got through them without crying, because <laughs> he does. He, he writes from his heart, and he sings from his heart. I know that when he did his thing at 54 Below last year, and he's mm-hmm. going to be doing it again this year, I'm going to be doing it with him, and uh, some of the songs, you know, uh, it's very difficult for him to get through without, um, you know, breaking down, because he feels so deeply He's had to learn to put a wall around to protect himself, quite honestly. But the truth is, he's he feels uh, more deeply than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, jumping ahead, were you, uh, as his sister or somebody that had been in the eye of the hurricane uh, in the original, were you surprised at the 86 uh, re-explosion of it? Was I surprised? I mean, how big of a let me let me put how big of a surprise was it to you when it went from like a, a six week tour that Nez was going to be a part of on the weekends <laughs> to two hundred dates, three years, the third biggest selling, third biggest grossing tour of nineteen eighty six, and you know, full fledged mania two point <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a bit surprising. It was a bit surprising, but again, those guys are magical, mm-hmm. you know? And um, because I know of the body of work and because I know how they are as when they are together and how they work together, um, part of me was like, I'm not surprised, <laughs> you know? Uh, good is good. And uh, when Mickey and Davey worked together, when any of them worked together, I mean, there there was a chemistry amongst these guys that Bob and Bert saw, right? Mm-hmm. And has never gone away. And whether they can work together now or what, who knows, but, but there was a chemistry and it's always good when they're together. And like I said, they created such 
great memories for people that whenever they are together, it brings people back to that moment in time and the chemistry happens again. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think and, that was and, one and, of the reasons why Good Times was so well received by the fans and the critics mm -hmm. and especially a lot of the peers uh, to see some of the I, I saw something recently where Adam, um, Adam Schlesinger was talking about or what Al help me out here the guy that produced Good Time Adam Schlesinger Adam, yeah, well, yeah, yeah the guy from X, or Andy Partridge yeah. the guy from XTC I'm sorry Andy well, Partridge is saying that back Partridge in the 80s that he was a huge fan and he was one mm -hmm. you know yeah I so mean to ben see Gidget. that I today mean, is it, it's very it's very gratifying to us and fa as fans and I guess it's vindication yeah Getting their due, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, they they were thrown together. Yes, they were from different venues. Yes, they had different musical tastes. Yes, they were all musicians in their own right. And and history has shown that they were all brilliant and wonderful and lasting, right? And no, they didn't write all their songs at the beginning. And no, they didn't start out as a garage band. But so what? <laughs> absolutely you know? so it's not it brain still, surgery yeah well no and it and it was it was enjoyable and it brings joy and to me it's like you know um uh you know uh um what was his name oh god um joseph campbell said follow your bliss you know mm -hmm. it's like if something works and if something is enjoyable go for it <laughs> you know and who should sit there and question well why is this enjoyable or why is it it's just good and it feels good and it's a great combination uh and and i was talking to some friends a couple of days ago i can't remember where but um about other tv shows and other groups that have done that you know friends cheers um, you know, different shows that that other networks have tried to duplicate and have mm -hmm. failed, you know, miserably because it wasn't the right chemistry, right? It, they've tried to reproduce Friends with different TV shows. I'm sorry, it wasn't that ensemble. And it, you know, if there's another one that comes along, fine, or Cheers or Monkeys or whoever. Mm -hmm. And it was just the right time, the right ensemble, the right people, and it just worked. And it's joyous and it's wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And so why do we keep on trying to like, whoa, why did it happen? Who cares? It worked. And it was the right people at the right time. And we're still enjoying it. And I still have people coming to the show with tears in their eyes singing I'm a Believer. And a thing of beauty is a joy forever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I always you think know, about that quote. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. It, and we want to think it to death. You know, and like the His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, you people there, you want to think things to death. You know, think about, you know, think with your heart. <laughs> and and I always look back on it. There hasn't been an original idea in Hollywood since 1924. So <laughs> I don't know. La La Land was kind of cool. <laughs> now, over since you, you you have gone out with Mickey numerous times over the last 20 or so years, mm -hmm. is there anything that stands out in your mind as a really funny moment or a memory of any particular show or anything that stands out uh, that you that makes you smile when you think about it mm. wow 
pause. Put it on pause. Oh God. Um, I mean, I, hard... I know there have been hundreds and hundreds of performances, but yeah. Um, you mean uh, like a, a performance or well, a time or a moment or like a, yeah? Well, as I explained, we think back to the uh, to the Columbia Kids Show, and <laughs> I look at the. I look at, at watching you and Mickey perform all these songs from Broadway Mickey and Mickey Dolan's Pushes You to Sleep. Um, mm. And I see the joy and the happiness in, in your eyes as you're singing these songs and, and mm. connecting with the kids and just having a real good time. And that's what I that's what I see you two having together is, is always just a good time together. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, to pick out a particular, somebody asked me recently, like, what was the best time on tour since May up until Australia? You're trying to, you're asking me for like one particular, that's, you know, I said, on what level? You know, are you talking venue? Are you talking moment on stage? Are you talking, you know, it, there's so many levels that it's kind of hard to to pick one thing. I mean, the Louis Shelton playing mm -hmm. Clarksville with the Louis Shelton was amazing, mm -hmm. right? Um, All right. Well, um, let me he, let me see if I can let me see if I can. Do, is there a moment that you remember on stage between the two of you that absolutely just cracked you up? <laughs> um. <laughs> well, the most recent thing is we're singing something, and he comes up to me and he looks down and goes, "Oh, I like your shoes." <laughs> which is kind of weird. I had on some like like these little boots and in the middle of the song and I don't even remember what song it was and he just looks down and goes, Oh yeah, cool boots. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. Or 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 turning around and um looking at us like, What song are we doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, there's that kind of silly stuff or looking around and and looking at us and going, which which verse are we on? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's silly stuff like that, but um, so th I see what it is. That's I, why he know, never sings the third you know, verse of going down anymore, and he hasn't for like <laughs> twenty years. Yeah, or sometimes he'll turn around and he's singing something, and he just looks at me like, "Wow, here we are," mm -hmm. and I can just see it in his eyes that he's thinking about my mom. Yeah. He's thinking about our life, you know. I think that happened in Austin when we were there because mm -hmm. we played at the Paramount in Austin, and that's where my mother was from. Mm -hmm. And I think we both realized that, wow, here we are. And probably 40 years, no, 40, excuse me, um, in the 30s or 40s, mm -hmm. my mom had probably performed there or was sitting in the audience watching something. And you know, he turns around and kind of looks at me and without even saying anything, I can just tell it's like one of those, wow. Surreal you know, moments. Here we are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, whether he even knows it or whether it's, I, I don't know, but it, it seems like that. that yeah, know, where we're just that, like, wow, here we are. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. Well, yeah, kind of I mean, cool. as as people have heard me on the podcast ad nauseum tell me, because it is my favorite story and that was um just to take you back you guys there you guys were performing on the kid stage in Columbia and <laughs> you were getting ready to do three whittle fitties you just done i'm not afraid because i remember vividly you saying i'm cold but i'm not afraid because 
It's a cold day. It was one of those days. It was warmer in the first show, and then a cold front went through, and you were you, know, right. you guys weren't prepared for it. So that's why. It was uh, outdoor I, venue. Yeah, at that it was an outdoor venue, and that's why yeah, you know the the coolest thing. Coco Dolan's wore my Looney Tunes you know, jacket, <laughs> and I can't can't get that any better than cool. this. And I then it did jacket. get better than this. Um. <laughs> Because Mickey Mickey asked, and the second show, we didn't record the second show. The second show was even funnier. He says, anybody know who Ishka Bibble is? And, of course, who's the only person in the audience that raises their hand? Because I didn't know who Ishka Bibble was. Oh, my gosh. He says, nah, yeah, you would. You're one of those trivia weirdos, Alan. So it's like. <laughs> and then come to the second show. Get, We're getting ready to do this. Anybody know who Ishka Bibble is? Don't raise your hand, Alan. So it's like, but it was those. Those are the moments that you carry with you forever, man. That's that's what I'm talking about with the with the connection that we talked about earlier that the guys have with the fans, and it's just amazing. Well, you know, the thing is, is that we're all people, and we're all on this planet together, and we're enjoying it together. And it's not us and them, is it? You know, it's us. No, we're all interconnected. We're all interdependent. Absolutely. Which begs the question: How in the hell did you know who Ishka Bibble was? I, um, do you want you want to hear the truth? I, I'm a firm believer in no, reincarnation, I'm and I'm a lie. firm believer that my last my last lifetime was lifetime was during that. Because if you think about it, to get it, mm-hmm. for anybody who don't know, doesn't know who Ishka Bibble was, he was with the K Kaiser Orchestra back in the day. Yeah. But yeah. if you look at Jim Carrey's character. In Dumb and Dumber, that is Ishkabibble, period. So, but yeah, he was a trumpet player and a singer for the K. Kaiser Band. But I, I mean, I'm a big old-time radio fan, you know, old to old westerns, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a true old school. It's like there's nothing new. It all just kind of comes around, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Ishka Bibble. He, he was a comedian, and a, he was a, a what, what did he play, cornet? He played, yeah, cornet trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. And he and, and like I said, he had the bangs. He had mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. he had the hick look. Wow, he was very funny. Isn't that funny? It's mm-hmm. like nothing's new. Everybody just kind of like cops on something else that was was mm-hmm. like earlier. down in the middle. It's a lot of building on things that went before. Yeah, exactly. There you have it. Uh, so far, so good. I mean, the fact that we've made her laugh, I think, made her feel a lot more at ease. And uh, yeah, some of the questions are a little bit off the wall, but you know, she answered so everything. We. Well, of course we're right. Most women, in my experience, most women only laugh when they can see me, in my my experience. But uh, <laughs> this was interesting. Yeah, they laugh hysterically when they see my my mug. You know, like I say, I have a face for podcasting. Yes, we both do. Um, coming up, we will wrap up uh, with part three next time. And uh, we're going to wrap it up, talk about uh, all the way up through good times and what Coco's got going on next. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Once again, we want to thank Ken Mills, the podfather. Check out his Monkeys podcast, Zilch, if you don't already know about it. Thanks to the Monkeys Live Albanac on the World Wide Web. The World Wide Web? The interwebs. The, inter- the interwebs. The, the place the kids look at, they look at the tweeter and the Twitter. It's like, you know, we turn into Statler and Waldorf from the, from the Muppets sometimes. I feel like the most times. I but do. Yeah, lot, uh, a mad shout-out to the Monkeys Live Almanac because the more they have, they have, their stuff has been so helpful in guiding us when we need information. They are, 
they are the Andrew, uh, second to, only to Andrew Sandoval as far as information that you can glean about the guys. I saw somebody recently thank them and gush over them. You know, it's great. He takes these old magazines and monkeys articles and he scans them and he puts them up. I'm like, uh, hello, uh, I'm over here in the corner. I've been doing this since uh, like 10 years ago. Uh, He's talking about the Big Glee blog page on blogspot.com. Plug. No, I really love his work and what he does, but uh, some of us were doing it first. Uh, and there, But there's room for many, obviously, in Monkey's fandom, as we have seen. So very true. There's room for many. So. Now, do you want to do the uh, boring disclaimer? As always, the Texas Prairie Chicken Monkey... As always, the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast is a podcast for entertainment purposes only, done to celebrate the monkeys for fans, by fans. Al Bigley and myself, Alan Williams, are not associated in any way, shape, or form with Michael Nesmith, Mickey Dolans, Peter Tork, the estate of the late David Jones, the monkeys in general, Rhino Records, Columbia, uh, and a partridge in a pear tree, anything to do with the monkeys whatsoever. However, Lester Crabtree and the three crabs, I'm distantly related to the wife of one of the crabs, sister, her sister. That's easy for you to say. Also, all materials used on this podcast are subject to copyrights of their current owners. Respective owners, we are just fans yelling out to other fans about fans for yo, fans. Yo, 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 what's up, fans? And by fans. Mm-hmm. And like that. That's easy for you to say. I don't even know what I just said. And that wraps up another laugh-filled episode. So until next time, this is Alan Lester Cram Williams. And this is Al Philo Bigley. <laughs> Thank you. And as always, we remind you to save, save the, the Texas, Texas Prairie, Prairie Chicken. Yeah, bam, 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 b